Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guests on the show are Silverbacks, or at least the frontman of Silverbacks anyway, Daniel O'Kelly. The Dublin-based band released their debut album Fad on Friday, July 17th. It's long awaited, as you'll hear in our conversation. I featured the band in their first phase way back when, but they've come a long way since. Daniel is joined by Killian O'Kelly, his brother. Emma Hanlon, Patter Kearney and Gary Wickham. And boy, do I think that they make a great sound together. Justin the Band is the centerpiece of FAD and it's one of the best Irish singles of the past five, ten years. They've gotten some great support from the likes of Six Music, Steve Lamack in particular and Stereo Gum in the States as well. And they seem to be doing really well outside of Ireland as much as within. And they're releasing their debut album in the middle of summer, the height of summer as the pandemic is continuing. So they've been affected by all of the tour cancellations, festivals uh, being cancelled as well. But they've had fad in the bag for a number of months. Of the course of our conversation, we talk about uh, The Simpsons, John Hughes films, Missing Gigs, the story behind Just in the Band, and lots, lots more. But we're going to cut into the conversation a couple of minutes in Daniel is explaining how they recorded the album with Daniel Fox from Girl Band. They made a couple of singles together, like Dunkirk and Just in the Band, and they completed the album in October 2019, having recorded it over the previous 12 or 18 months. And so I asked him whether that break is almost like a double edged sword. On the one hand, it's good to be able to take a little bit of a break from the album kind of remove yourself a little bit and maybe pick it apart and is that the bad thing as well that you start listening to the album and all you hear are changes that you want to make so let's cut into daniel o'kelly's answer there on the point of everything and stick around to the end of the show to hear muted gold from the album which is out on friday and which you can pre-order from silverbacks.bandcamp.com yeah i think it can work both ways sometimes it's good to get some headspace and not listen to a song or a mix for two weeks and then get back to it, you know. But if you do that for every song, it draws out the the whole mixing process and recording process. I think the way it worked out for us was more because we were new enough to studios, recording in studios and recording as a band. And we also all work and we were kind of squeezing gigs in as well. So we just it just kind of made sense to do things on a more sporadic basis than just you know this kind of intense i don't know how long it takes to record an album properly two weeks you know but it worked for us yeah let's go back to the start before we kind of uh delve delve deeper into uh fad how did uh how did all the silverbacks meet and how did the band start well the band started um a good long time ago um with killian and i killian's my brother you know this own but i'll say it for your listeners thank you much appreciated Uh, no worries killian and myself have been recording music for years and just writing more so writing music like when we were younger there was this there's only two years between us and there was this time where we kind of both started losing interest in playing football and you know spend a lot more time just in our parents garage right trying to write songs together and then when we moved to college I, i i went to maynooth and then killian kind of came as well a year later or, or two years later and there he met emma and i had met patter so that was the initial formation of the band was 
when we were in college, which is about eight, nine years ago. And we played a few gigs with that lineup and another drummer. And then we everything kind of went on pause because Patter moved to Toulouse to kind of teach there for a few years. Uh, but Killian and I continued writing music and writing songs with Emma. And then we met up. Patter came back a few years later. I think it was 2016, maybe. And we just said, let's get the band back together, you know, drunken chat. But we actually followed through with it. And um, we said, okay, we just need a drummer. And Patter knew Gary. And he said, Gary might be interested. And then we met Gary at a Wilco concert, which is a great way to meet someone. Um, and then kind of took it off from there. That's the, the lineup we've had now for the last three years. I think it is three, four years, three years properly. And that that is kind of Silverbacks, really, the last three, four years. We, we've had been writing songs for Silverbacks for a lot longer than that. But the, um, the Silverbacks that that is... Um, that people know and that i guess we know is this current lineup and the last three four years uh it's impressive to just like kind of stick with i guess one name and maybe you know the the start of that idea for so long like eight or nine years i'm sure that i remember you putting um some demos up on Bandcamp back in like i don't know 2011 2012 or something like that i mean was the sound always there did you always have like what say fad has become was was that kind of there in whatever state it was back at the beginning for your first point um before silverbacks kill and i had a, a brief uh, we had another band name that we worked with a bit called mighty good leaders which i sometimes think is a better band name <laughs> it's a bit late now but yeah silverbacks kind of just stuck and i guess eventually you just lose the meaning of the word you know and it just it's like arctic monkeys you know it's not a particularly good band name but no one thinks that now so you just kind of stick with it and then in terms of the the music yeah you were actually one of the first kind of blogs to from ireland to feature our stuff so thanks for that own thanks for sticking with us but yeah Kill and i kind of been releasing stuff sporadically for eight nine years i think this is our first proper album but we threw up collections of demos you know three or four of them up on Bandcamp from years ago but in terms of this current sound i think there was one moment where or one song where Kill and i were thinking okay this is a particular direction that we should work on more and that was when we wrote fad 95 which was about five years ago and i think it was more because for a long time i was experimenting a bit with my vocal delivery i wasn't i was never really particularly comfortable being the singer but i just did it because no one else wanted to do it but i think with fad i kind of kill and i both felt that we found some kind of voice you know that we could now have these really cool or interesting guitars and also interesting lyrics and kind of a voice that people might want to listen to so once fad was written and it did quite well like a lot of blogs picked it up kill and i thought okay let's let's try work on this style of music a little more for the foreseeable future and um, that's kind of what we're still doing i think and then obviously when you start playing with a band and a live band you change certain things how you write certain songs to kind of fit you know say gary's drum style or you, you think okay gary might be able to do one of his cool little things here or how patter plays guitar uh, you kind of try to write songs where they can you know add their own piece of the puzzle with fad 95 listening to it 
it, it's hard not to think of pavement. Like, is that uh, something that you're almost like, oh, I wish people would stop comparing us to pavement? Or is it kind of like, we fucking love pavement. Of course we want to be compared to them. Well, for Fad 95, like, well, yeah, I do love pavement. Um, and so does Killian. For Fad 95, it was quite, I, the reference points are quite obvious there in that, you know, I part of, you know, within the lyrics, we quote a Simpsons episode which features a lot of those bands, American bands from the 1990s, you know, the Lollapalooza episodes. We also kind of say at the end, I say Korea, 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 or maybe I say career, career, career. And part of that is in, you know, the pavement song where it does that. I, I never really knew what he was saying, but I just liked that I didn't know. So that's also like an obvious rip off if you want from that. Um, I think it's okay to be too literal with your music as long as that as you're saying that you're doing it or being honest about who you're borrowing or stealing from and that's definitely the case with fat fat 95 not the album yeah yeah um okay so first of all the simpsons um like a classic episode that you're referencing uh do you have a particular um thought on when the simpsons started to go off oh i don't know um i can't name particular seasons I'm not that much of a Simpsons nerd. Um, I, I, I can say like what age I was when I stopped enjoying the episodes. And I think it kind of coincided when the seasons started getting bad. And that was around 17, 18. So that would have been about two years ago. No, that's 12 years ago. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think there was a moment as well where the, the cartoon itself seemed to get really polished, you know, Th just in terms of the aesthetics and the voice mixing and everything. It just seemed they just seemed to step it up a notch. I think that just took away from the Simpsons that I grew up watching, you know, um, I kind of think it kind of it became a lot cleaner. That's the word. But I couldn't name a particular season. Sorry, I'm a fraud. That's okay. I, I just think you can judge a lot by, by someone depending on when they say that The Simpsons started to go off. Uh, but look, I'm not going to give my own personal take on this just in case someone uh, comes at me or anything like that. No, no, no. Put your neck on the line, Owen. Come on. What seasons? Tell us. Uh, like, I mean, anything after season 13, you've got to take with a pinch of salt. It's probably season 12, I think, when it starts going off the boil. And um, like like you were saying, the whole polished thing, I mean, that that all starts from around the spider pig, the, uh, the Simpsons movie back in 2007 or 2008. Like, that was the one where you're just like, no, nah, I've completely checked out on The Simpsons now. Okay. Yeah, so I was 16, 17 then, so kind of coincides with my age yeah so around that time we agree then play for kind of looking outside of Ireland as well like it's been great to see Silverbacks kind of getting attention outside of uh, the typical um, outlets that you might see some Irish bands um, play to it seems like you've got kind of good aspirations I suppose and kind of uh, levels that you want to hit but I'm guessing that you do kind of roll your eyes when you're like oh they're comparing us to Murder Capital and Fontaine's DC again if you're a music journalist you know uh you don't have the time to listen to every band from ireland and or you know to every band that you think silverbacks might sound like so i can see why it, it's, it makes sense and it's easy for them 
and for their readers to, you know, connect those dots. In terms of kind of looking outwards, I think, you know, we all have, I think everyone really has these little goals and milestones that they want. But um, I think just our music seems to do quite well in the States in particular. That's something I've noticed that, um, you know, the likes of Stereogum got behind us quite quickly. But um, I think part of that is because our music is, you know, we we take from quite a lot of American bands. I'd say American bands more so than the UK bands in terms of our influence on our music. Um, so that probably helps in in global appeal of the Silverbacks brand. You're you're being so diplomatic with that with the answer there. Uh, so um, I mean, on behalf of music journalists, I suppose thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for thinking that um, they they have so much on their plate. It's what I really think. You know, I sometimes you know obviously if I read a review. I don't mind those little things, but if I read a review and they're, you know, I completely disagree with, you know, they make comparisons and criticize our music based on comparisons that are wrong, then I'll be like, okay, you know, if you're going to write about music, then at least, and you're going to criticize someone, then at least make sure you're criticizing them with the, you know, with all the information you need. But I think if you're making kind of a casual comparison, you know, there's, there's no real damage there. There's no damage done there. You know, if someone rates our album and say gives us two stars out of 50, you know, like a really bad review and then they make those comparisons, then it'll annoy me. But if they're just making this kind of sweeping comparison, it it doesn't bother me too much, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's just like it's it's just funny to see that you know the guitar the i don't know what what you want to call it like the uh guitar rock revival in dublin it's making a stir now um i don't know maybe it's just kind of like a post girl band thing that everyone is paying attention to but like the amount of great guitar bands who um have come out of ireland come out of dublin over the past decade like it's it kind of never went away and it just so happens that now you've got three bands who are kind of looking outside of Ireland and who do have kind of big goals in mind like you said um who who just so happen to be around at the same time um I, I wonder I wonder like why that is now that bands have decided um you know that Ireland isn't kind of you know, if you're big in Ireland, it doesn't mean that you're a big band, that you've got to kind of go international. I wonder, does it kind of start with girl band? You could maybe did kind of change the mindset of a lot of acts, you know, from the second half of uh, the last decade. Like you saw them getting a lot of attention internationally. And obviously, like I'm guessing that they've been a big influence on you. You're recording with Dan Fox and you got to tour with girl band uh last year as well which we might talk about in a bit but i'm guessing like they kind of do loom large over all of this um whatever scene you want to call it at the moment yeah like i think for us for killing myself and kind of um when we wanted to you know get the band going again if you want or just taking it a little more seriously than just you know writing every week you know from the flat but not showing anyone the songs we're recording was kind of seeing girl band and what they were doing you know i remember we went to see one of their gigs a few years ago and afterwards i was just thinking like this is phenomenal you know and part of it was that you look at them and they just seemed like lads like us you know um and i think that's a motivation that, that i think that's definitely part of it and it, i can't speak for fontaines and murder capital or the other bands that are doing well um like just mustard um but for myself and killian and the rest of our back seeing 
girl band do well and even Fontaine's you know we supported them a few years ago and um, you know even then you could be like oh these guys are gonna be huge you know they were just so professional about everything and they just had a certain kind of um, attitude towards what they were doing um, and I think that kind of when you see other bands that are within the same location as you and similar backgrounds as you it's motivating you know you're you almost it's not that you're putting yourself in competition with them but you think you know if they can do it maybe we can why can't we try this a little harder you know it definitely helps you know i don't know if you know maybe without i also without those bands maybe there would be less interest in silverbacks you know because you can't tie it in with this version and scene you know this this whole narrative of Dublin and Ireland becoming this hub for really great and interesting guitar music but it definitely yeah they were definitely a motivation just because you've referenced it one once or twice like that meeting or or that kind of talk that you and Gillian had about you know maybe being a little bit more serious with Silverbacks was it very much a kind of a either we do this or it's the end of like us making music was it as dramatic as that or was it a lot less um serious um no it was a lot less serious uh unfortunately <laughs> i wish we had this kind of moment you know like a top gun moment where you're kind of high-fiving slow-mo all that no i guess there was just like a series of little moments i started taking it a little more seriously because i had um gone out of a, like a long-term relationship and i just kind of wanted to replace that void with something else i was thinking well i used to do music a lot more i'll start doing that again and Killian was also, Killian had just moved to Dublin. So for the first time in a few years, we were living together again, which kind of helped things. Um, but there was a few little moments, like, you know, Fad being picked up five years ago by loads of blogs, then seeing Girl Band live, then Patter coming back and saying he really liked the songs, then Gary coming in and saying he really liked the songs, and then Gav catching us at a show and saying he really liked the songs that they were all kind of little moments of motivation for well for killing myself just to believe in the music a little more and then just the band becoming more serious and you know when there's more puzzles to there's more people kind of working behind the band you you feel i guess maybe a little more confident in yourself which is something that we lacked before and you also don't want to let them down so you want to keep up that work ethic so I think it was like a, a series of uh, moments, but most of the time, whenever we want, we decided to take things a little more seriously, it was because someone whose opinion we appreciated or valued said to us, you guys are, you know, the music that you guys are playing or your band is great. Can you tell when things are more serious? Like when you've got kind of buy-in from everybody in the band who's joined up and from Gav the manager like can you tell that things are slightly different like is is there more a case of we have to make this work rather than you know oh let's just have fun and see what happens um I, I don't think any of us really are in a case of we have to make this work because I guess you know the, the, all of us were in our mid 20s mid to late 20s when we started silverbacks so we have you know we, we I, i'm not saying that anyone who gets into a band immediately and doesn't have anything to fall back on you know is screwed or anything like that i just mean in our case it, it was never you know we never put a time frame on it and said look we've just out of school let's see how far we can push the band and then we can look at adulthood you know 
because it's difficult being a band you know there's a lot of pressures of mainly financial and logistical you know if you're doing it full time that i'm just i'm not speaking from experience i'm just speaking from things i've read <laughs> i don't think any of us really have that pressure if that's makes sense but we've all definitely made sacrifices in our own lives and careers to make this band work and i think it's when you make those sacrifices that things start become a little more serious serious like i know in my own case i was offered a job the job that i had they were closing up office in dublin and they asked me to relocate to belgrade and if it wasn't for the band i would i would have said yes to this to that job it's a, you know it was a really good opportunity um for my professional career but you know i don't regret not going over but i guess you know when i made that decision that kind of that's a moment where you're like okay i'm going to take this more seriously now because i've made this sacrifice and when you make a sacrifice you know you don't want it to be a waste of time or something that you end up regretting um and then you know i know i, I won't say what the other members or how they've sacrificed but everyone has you know uh, kind of put certain things online or pause certain things on the side for the band i guess that's when you know you're taking it more seriously when you're you know moving other things around so that the band can work rather than just playing gigs when it conveniently suits everyone yeah no like i mean me and breed got to see uh you guys supporting girl band uh last november as i mentioned um earlier playing a couple of gigs around england and you continued with them a, another couple of dates around europe like for a five-piece band to be able to play a full band show like that you can instantly see the, the sacrifice that it does take you know the the days off that you have to get from work the flights that you have to book and stuff i i mean how was that tour for you guys was it kind of like ah this is what it's all about or or was it like oh my god this is this is so much effort um it was it was you know it was an amazing experience um you know and you know the really really appreciative of the girl band lads bringing us over and just seeing them you know three times was amazing as well i think manchester was okay because it was on a weekend so we kind of made a weekend of it um and it was our first time playing to a room that size like that that was i think that crowd was two three times more than anything we played to before so you know there's obviously that's obviously a bit overwhelming and then also knowing you're playing before girl band and you know that they're most likely going to knock it out of the park i guess all those little things cross your mind but it was it felt a little bit like um a home gig because a lot of our friends came over for it uh we knew we had some friends in manchester as well the london one was a real example of uh kind of you know working full time and playing a gig because we all cut the plane back to dublin the next day at 6 a.m i think it was and then went straight into work um because i remember afterwards there was a few invitations going around oh do you want to come for drinks but we just went straight to the hostel slept for a few hours and then we're in work a few hours later and i think you know at the time i was thinking oh i wish i could have taken that day off um and really enjoyed the moment and i think maybe sometimes it also affects the performance to a certain extent I think it affected my performance anyway. First of all, you're playing the electric ballroom. So there's, you know, I don't know how many people, but maybe 3 million people in the room. <laughs> and uh, they're all very cool as well. Um, London cool, you know. So, and then just knowing that in six hours time, you're going to be at an office. 
I don't know. It definitely popped in my head a few times during the set anyway. <laughs> so I guess we've, we haven't really had the chance, unfortunately, to do a proper tour where, you know, you don't have to think about work or the next day, uh, you know, like doing something completely different. Um, and we were hoping on doing that, I guess, in, in May. We had the UK tour planned, but that didn't happen, unfortunately. The obvious question now is, are, are you missing playing live? Like, are you, are you guys just gagging to get back to a stage? Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. Well, we haven't played together since lockdown for various reasons. But uh, I'm just even looking forward to just practicing as a band again. I saw a funny tweet. I think it might have been Idols on Twitter. They said, like, they were back practicing and they said um, they sounded like an Idols cover band. And I think, I imagine that's what it's going to be like for us as well, you know, when we get back in. But yeah, I'm, I'm, we've all been messaging, you know, in our own group chat saying, you know, we'll never take a gig granted again, you know. Yeah. Uh, do, do you guys have um, anything booked? Like, do you have an idea or, or a thought of like when it might actually be okay to have a gig again? Well, we have, well, we had September booked, but that's, you know, it hasn't been announced yet but that's going to be rescheduled and we're hoping to reschedule it for next march but there's there's nothing confirmed yet um like we're not announcing everything until we get the go ahead from the booking agency to say you can announce you know the march dates so and then i think we have we've rescheduled our dublin and limerick headlines to next february i think with mcd i'm not the dates guy as you can see um but yeah so i it, i it's very unlikely i think that we're going to play again this year anyway yeah fingers fingers crossed like everything works out and um we we will have gigs again like come february and march 2021 oh my god it's like nine months away how are we supposed to get there but coming back to the album and coming back to the sound like you mentioned earlier kind of finding your your voice i mean do you feel confident now both as a lyricist and as a as a singer yeah i feel a lot more confident more so i think as a lyricist then as like i think my lyrics have got are getting better and gonna have got better over the last few years um and singing wise yeah i'm a little more confident uh than i used to be it, it's i guess it's a bit like i'm not a naturally good singer so it took it's but it's an instrument you know you can kind of with practice you can tune your ear into singing in tune and luckily we have emma <laughs> that we can divert to for the more difficult songs to sing because she has a great voice but yeah i'm a little more confident i guess the more people like the the more people that come up and say that was great or oh i really like that line you know it's kind of like a little uh a little bit of an ego not ego boost but it kind of boosts the confidence a little bit and i, and I think um it's something that Kylian and i have always needed you know um just people to say that they like us so that we do more <laughs> yeah yeah um no, just talk, just talking about Emma. One of the things that I like about the album is the way that you kind of keep the listener on your toes. The way that there's a couple of songs that are sung um, by Emma. There's a couple of instrumentals uh, there as well. I think there's three instrumentals throughout um, Fad as well. Like, is that just something like I, you know, like from a personal point of view, you're like uh, nobody, nobody wants like twelve or thirteen songs by me. Let's um, do something a little bit different. It's not necessarily intentionally doing something different i i think maybe it is but um emma has a great voice and there, i think there's Kylian and i write a lot of songs that just wouldn't suit how he sings or how i sing and i think after writing 
we we started tracking demos with Emma singing a few years ago, and then what we started doing now is from the get go intentionally trying to write songs that we think would suit her voice, um, and that she could sing well on. And I guess it's just you know it would be a waste not to have Emma on the album. You know if you have someone who has a great voice and can give your songs a a, a different quality, I I don't think there's any rule book which says you only need one singer on an album. You know. I know it's our first one and there's maybe a few curveballs and it's on the album it's a lot to take in but I guess it's just like a nice feather in our cap to uh, show everyone. Um, I Killian said this before and I think it makes I think he, he said like after maybe two or three albums maybe as a group of three albums they'll all make more sense if that makes sense well i again i like i like you're playing the the kind of long uh the long game there you know like two or three albums that's uh we'll 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 look at our oeuvre uh then in a couple of years well yeah like what that's what we're saying and then you know i think that was part of the reason of naming the the album fad was that if it just ends up being our only album you know it's a very good name <laughs> and if it doesn't then it's also kind of good as well you know we're kind of covering ourselves on both sides yeah you've got your foot in both camps there <laughs> yeah yeah just firmly on the fence that's silverbacks <laughs> you know ask me more about the journalists <laughs> um l- no no let's stick with the music people you recorded with uh daniel fox who i've been saying is the best producer in the country was he always like number one for you to uh work with and like he was it just a case of him just clicking with your sound and like how does that kind of um teamwork i guess kind of work does he kind of like uh give you notes on how to maybe sound better or anything but initially we we recorded with um steven the who does the tandem felix stuff uh because i really love tandem felix and the sound and that they did uh and then and the 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 stuff does we actually did a uh, we did two songs with him just in uh for a better view and another song called um she cut her hair which we still haven't released maybe one day album six you know in the outtakes um but uh but then we we heard and Stephen was great but we, we heard um Autremond the the I think it was an EP that Dan did with them and uh, it just sounded the guitars and the drums kind of sounded like what we were looking for um they had almost a early television quality which was what we were looking for for Dunkirk so we just got in touch he said yes and then Dunkirk just worked out really really well I still whenever I listen to that song again I just the sound of the drums I don't know what he did to them but it's it's also Gary's playing I know you're going to be listening Gary you're a great drummer but uh it just worked really well I I think um from the get-go we just you know sometimes you just click with someone and um we clicked with Dan we kind of into similar things into the same music and so we always kind of got our reference points and then in terms of working with him it's pretty easy going he kind of takes over on all the recording stuff and then we have a system now that works for us and for him and then when it comes to the mixing uh he would kind of lead it and then i sit in with him and then i guess at the start i was particularly attached to how i wanted things to sound you know if i had a demo recorded i would be quite attached to say you know okay dan you know i know what you're doing here with this guitar but can we have it with how it is in the demo but i soon learned that uh you know the demo is most often not the best way to go about things and just kind of 
listen to what Dan thinks. So it works well, I think. Is 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 that uh, Dan's motto in the studio as well? Listen to what Dan thinks. No, not at all. Uh, he's an extremely uh, agreeable person, I would say. Um, and then also, you know, you you've seen Silverbacks. Like, there's a lot of shy talk, constant messing as well. So he's got a lot of patience for that too, which is good. He he said to me, he's very diplomatic. I would say that's the word. You know, he makes sure everyone's voice is heard and that all opinions are considered. Which is, I think, what you need when you're dealing with someone else's music. Well, look, you're being really diplomatic uh, in this interview as well. So um, so you're obviously taking things <laughs> on board. I'm, I'm just a very nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I, I, and I'm also extremely aware that I'm doing this on my own. So there's no one to rein me in. So I've kind of tied myself to a leash. <laughs> Okay, la- last couple of questions so that um you don't go too far too far off uh the least just um looking at the uh press release for the album it says that uh Club Silberrucken is yeah. imagines a lost John Hughes film. Uh I've watched a couple of John Hughes films the past couple of days and um I don't know, they haven't aged well. I don't know if you're much of a fan. I will I haven't watched them in years, but when I first, you know, kind of you get into John Hughes films, what, when you're in early teenage years, maybe? That's kind of the prime age for it, you know? And then you kind of revisit it when you're in your late teens and you have a few more chips on your shoulder and you're like, oh, yeah, I get this, you know? Um, I get the aesthetic quality of it all, you know? Um, but I, I I think in that case, Killian and Emma actually wrote... So often what happens is uh, if Killian and Emma kind of write a song together... Uh, they'll have these lyrics and then I'll just throw, you know, if they're missing a verse or something like that, I'll try and add something to, you know, that either throws a few curveballs in or adds to the story they're trying to tell. And when I first heard Club Silver Booking, I can't remember what it was called. Oh, it was initially called One Sweet Day. I don't know why, but I imagined this girl being left by this really cool, so this, this you know, West berlin girl who kind of frequents all these kind of indie and punk clubs from the you know mid to late 80s in berlin and um she gets heartbroken like uh by one of these uh american musicians who just stopped by for a weekend you know and he says he's going to move there but he decides to leave he just berlin wasn't for him that's just what i imagined i don't know why and then it just kind of i guess because i imagined 80s berlin just john hughes kind of popped in my head and that's kind of what i said to Kinnan. i was like this is what the song's about even though they wrote it and they wrote the words <laughs> uh, so i think that's how that got in the press release i wouldn't look into it too much really okay no i, I just saw john hughes and i just thought oh yeah. oh what a coincidence after watching a couple of his films which ones did you watch i watched uh the breakfast club for the first time and i watched 16 candles for the first time um 16 candles has aged really really badly yeah i, I never watched 16 candles that was one of the few i'm gonna i'm searching here i'm gonna dig up his filmography see which ones well ferris bueller is the obvious the obvious one i think that that's yeah. probably aged the best pretty in pink yeah, Pretty in Pink's there. I watched. I think Pretty in Pink was my favorite one when I did dig into those. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Okay, uh, okay, I'll give them one more go. I would would recommend Pretty in Pink. The soundtrack's pretty good. Like there's psychedelic furs in it. There's a great moment where the main characters kind of sing along to uh, 
a song and i can't remember the song either i'm really as you can see now i'm really bad with numbers and names and words but i can tell you what age i was when i saw the films <laughs> was it 16 17 again <laughs> yeah i was around that age <laughs> <laughs> okay um well well coming back to your your own song which i'm guessing that you know a little bit more about just in the band is uh like from the very first time that i heard that track like i was just like oh this is this is amazing and it still sounds so fresh and so uh great um in the middle of fad uh the debut album um tell me the story behind it i know a little bit about it just because i talked to uh killian for um the blog a couple of years ago he said that uh you're inspired by danny says a documentary about danny fields the stooges former manager and new york city tastemaker yeah well that was the, the lyrics were inspired by that um the music i think i particularly like just in the band because it's um it's kind of it's a really good example of how killian and i would track demos and then how the band kind of give it a little kick up the arse <laughs> um and that killian, killian and i maybe yeah about a few years ago we learned that the best way we, we write songs is actually if we're not in the same room as each other um we have this thing called uh stink face uh, it's an O'Kelly thing where if you don't particularly like something, you, you can't really hide hide it on your face and it looks like you've smelt a bad fart. So when we would record in the same room as each other, if Killian like, was playing a riff that I wasn't particularly happy with, he could see and vice versa. And I guess it kind of, it puts you off a little bit. So we decided to put a door and a wall between us when, when it comes to uh, tracking demos or writing a song together. And that's what happened with Justin the band. The... the the whole verse, all the guitars are done by Killian. And then when the chorus comes in, well, I don't know if you can call it chorus, but the, the, the middle part, that, that was done by myself. So And then we just kind of, you know, spliced them and chopped them together. And then when we brought it as a band, just Patter's guitar playing and Gary's drums, just kind of, and Emma's bass, you know, they really kind of, let's see, like a melting pot, you know. Uh, they kind of, molded it together you know so it kind of flowed nicely and then we had the instrumental for ages we actually sent the instrumental to the band and said look this maybe we can learn the instrumental and the lyrics will come and then a few days before we were due to start practicing it i watched the danny says documentary and i just thought that was a particularly good um subject for the song i thought it would work quite well um just line of kind of being in a band and how people put you on a pedestal and also just maybe a little kind of look at Iggy Pop and the early days of his career and what it, what it might have been like being him you know and what it might have been like being in the crowd and seeing him up there um so that's kind of what the song's about like there's a few lines in the song as well where I kind of wanted to I don't know I just when I was writing the lyrics I wanted to be on stage and say certain words and and then look out in the crowd and see how people reacted to them you know so there's a line do not love the front man anymore you know whenever I say that I, I don't want to see if there's anyone in the crowd kind of reacting as in oh, what a gobshite why is he saying that or haha that's a funny line you know and then also the line where uh, there's a ruckus down the back or you know there's a problem down the back I try to kind of shout that I haven't start I want to eventually point it but I'm not able to play the guitar and point at the same time. Not yet. Uh, maybe album two. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like that line, you know, there's a problem down the back. You know, I want hopefully that one day someone will actually turn their head and see if there is something going on behind the back. So yeah, that's what that song's about. 
Look, I, I, I hope that uh, we, we do get to see that ruckus um, at some point in the in the coming months or in the next year. Listen, thanks for the chat and best of luck with uh, the album. Like, uh, I don't know if you had discussions about like, oh, we can't put it out uh, now when we can't play live, like during a pandemic. Maybe maybe we shouldn't do it at all. But I mean, it's kind of like it's the height of summer and it just sounds like uh, the, the perfect time for an album like this. So um, best luck with everything with the album and I hope it all uh, works out. Thanks a million, Owen. Thanks a million for doing this as well and having us on. Big fan of the podcast. Ah, shucks. An image too often presents